We'll be starting a new series from the Gospel of Mark. Um, The scripture reading comes from Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 20, which can be found on page 707 in some of your pew Bibles. All right, Mark 1. The beginning of the Gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the desert. Prepare the way for the Lord and make straight paths for him. And so John came, baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan water. In the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, with whom I am well pleased, whom I love, with you who I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the desert, and he was in the desert for forty days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and the angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee. He saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. May God bless the reading of his word. A good beginning launches us into another world, such as this beginning, a long time ago in a galaxy far away. (laughs) Charles Dickens began this way, it was the best of times, it was what? And suddenly we are launched into the world of the French Revolution in London and Paris. A good beginning also uh, prophesies or it uh, lays the groundwork for what is to come. It is like a seed. It has all the DNA in it. An acorn becomes a giant oak. And in a good beginning... That DNA is present. Here's how the uh, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe begins. Once there were four children whose names were Peter, 
Susan, Edmund, and Lucy. This story is about something that happened to them when they were sent away from London. What's going to happen? So a good beginning launches us into another world, and it prophesies or it forecasts what is to come. So let's start at the very beginning, a very good place to start. When you read, you begin with ABC. When you sing, you begin with... And when you begin the Gospel of Mark, you begin with Jesus Christ. Chapter 1, verse 1, the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The curtain rises, and we begin this journey with Jesus. We're calling this series, very simply, Follow Me. Mark is all about discipleship. It's all about Jesus going on ahead of us and we walking in his steps. So from this text, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 to 20, I want to ask three simple questions about this act of following. The first question is, who are we following? The answer will not surprise you. It is Jesus. In chapter 1, verse 1, he is called Jesus. That's his human name. Remember, Joseph gave him that name as directed by the uh, the angel. What does it mean? It means Savior, right? Joshua, Yeshua. He is called Jesus Christ. That is not his last name. They didn't have last names back in that day. It is a title. It means, as you guys know, uh, Messiah, God's deliverer, the anointed one. The beginning of the gospel of this man named Jesus, the Savior, who is God's anointed deliverer. And then the, uh, the real surprise in this uh, brief first verse comes when it's, he's called the Son of God. We kind of uh, breeze past that today. We've heard it since... Sunday school days, but they did not breeze over that in Jesus' day, and they don't breeze over it in many parts of the world today. If you make this claim, as the Bible does, that he is the Son of God, in the Islamic world, that will not go over very well, as Patek uh, taught us a few weeks ago, the Son of God. And yet it is the consistent message of this book and of God's revelation to us. It appears again in our passage, chapter 1, verse 11. This is at Jesus' baptism. A voice came from heaven, you are my beloved Son. And it keeps coming up. Remember, a good beginning kind of forecast, and it has the DNA, and it keeps coming up in the book of Mark. Uh, in chapter 3, verse 11, one of the demons says, uh, you, what, what, what do you have to do with us, O oh, Jesus, Son of God? So we have the supernatural voice, even of a demon, acknowledging and adding to this message. Chapter 5, verse 7 is similar. The demon says, What do you want with us, uh, Jesus, Son of the Most High? Uh, chapter 9, verse 7 is the, uh, the transfiguration. Remember, Jesus is transfigured before them. And once again, a voice comes from heaven. This is my beloved Son. Listen to him. It just keeps coming up in the book. 
at the very end of the book, Jesus is on the cross, and now the testifier, the one who adds his voice, is a pagan, he is a Roman soldier, and he says, whoa, surely this is the Son of God. And so who are we following? The Savior, Yeshua, God's chosen, anointed, uh, stamp of approval, Christ, the Son of God. So let us remember who we are following. Those of you who are disciples of Jesus, you're you're, you're walking in his steps, uh, remember, remember who we're following. This is why we kneel sometimes before him, Son of God. This is why we sometimes lift our hands in exultation or in surrender, right? Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Our worship leaders are really good at choosing songs that remind us of this. We sing Jesus is our friend. Yep, he is also the king. We sing he is the Lamb of God, correct? He is also the Lion of God. And this is who we are following. Well, the rest of the book uh, and the rest of our passage uh, gives more details on this person we are following. Um, Who are we following? In scene one of our passage, he has prophesied and announced. You know, narrative is the art of showing more than telling. Do you you understand that distinction? I'm telling you right now, propositional, I'm making statements. But story, narrative, is the art of showing us things. I might say to you, Jesus is powerful. A storyteller shows us his power. I might say to you, Jesus is compassionate. Mark shows us his compassion. So what is he showing us about this person we're following? He is showing us he's been prophesied about. Isaiah prophesied about him. 600-ish years before, there were words already written about him. Prepare the way of the Lord. He is announced by John the Baptist. This is like if you go to the Falls Church in uh, Washington, D.C. I've been there a number of times. The Falls Church is the home church where the vice president attends, uh, Vice President Mike Pence. And uh, you can imagine before he shows up on a Sunday morning, he's not there all the time, but when, when he is there, that he has, uh, he has uh, you know, helpers and secretaries that call the church ahead of time. Okay, the vice president's coming on such and such a date. And I imagine, I don't know for sure, but I imagine they clean up the place and make sure the entryway is all good and his seat is all prepared. And then uh, they send secret service the day before. And then on the day, you know, on the Sunday, they have metal detectors. They have to go through a metal detector uh, to go to church. And then, and then the motorcade arrives and the, the, uh, the uh, motorcycles are out front and, and, Here's the limousine, and out steps the vice president. This is what John the Baptist is doing. Get ready! Somebody's coming! Clean up! 
What is Mark showing us? Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The next scene, uh, he shows us uh, something else. This is when Jesus was baptized. I'm going to come back to that later in the message. We'll jump over it here. The next scene is uh, he's tested. He, uh, uh, immediately after he is baptized, the Bible says the heavens are ripped open and a voice comes from heaven and the, the spirit like a dove comes and lights on him and the voice says, this is my beloved son. And then immediately, a favorite word of Mark, immediately the spirit drives him out into the wilderness. The, uh, the Greek word is he threw him out. He cast him out. He get out of here, Jesus Okay, I'm glad that you've had this big event. You've been baptized now. Go for a time of testing. A few years ago, Liz and I were at that part of the world. It's, uh, it's called the wilderness. It's near the Jordan River, the southern part of the Jordan River, the northern part of the Dead Sea. And our tour guide was taking us from Galilee, which is up north, down and we were going to stay in Jerusalem. And on the way to Jerusalem, uh, he, he knew a certain spot, and he pulled the car over beside the road, and he had us get out. And we, uh, we actually walked up uh, 100 or 200 yards up into the top of a hill, and from there we could overlook and see down to the Jordan River, and just way down there, you could see the northern end of the Dead Sea. And I'm telling you guys, it is like the backside of the moon. Rocks, little scrub bushes, nothing else. Mark says, and he was with the wild animals. He's the only gospel writer that says that. And our tour guide said, uh, pull up a rock. So we found a rock and we sat down and he read to us the story of Jesus being tempted and tested in the wilderness. And then he said, and the sun, the sun was just setting. And then he said, now, a moment of silence as we contemplate our Lord 40 days. And here's what we heard. I'm telling you, it is barren, it is rocky. I don't know where he got water. And he was with the wild animals, and Satan came and tempted him. The other gospel writers kind of expand that temptation. Hey, you think you're so great? Okay, well, I bet you're hungry. Why don't you turn some of these rocks into bread? Jesus said, uh-uh, it's not the time for that. Oh, well, everybody's going to worship you someday. <laughs> Why don't you just get the program going? Hey, come on, have them fall down. And Jesus said, no. Hmm. This is the time of humility. Forty days tested. And what is the story? What was Mark showing us? He's showing us that Jesus is more powerful and smarter than Satan. That's who you're following. We'll come back to this. 
Scene number four, calling the disciples. Now the scene shifts. We're up in Galilee. We're up in the northern part of the country. I don't know if this was like a week later or a month later or whatever. And he's walking along the sea, and it's a green land, and it's pleasant. He's by the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is actually a lake. It's a freshwater lake. And he's walking along, and he says, Hey, hey, Peter, your brother, Andrew, come on. Follow me. And immediately... They leave their nets, whoo, they follow him. What is Mark showing us? The careful reader, not the speed reader, not the, you know, reading on the surface, the careful reader, the meditative reader thinks, whoa, these guys just, they left their business and and they walk along a little bit more along the rocky uh, shore of the, uh, the Lake of Galilee. And there's another couple of brothers, uh, James and, and John. He says, hey, come here, follow me. And they follow him. And so those of you who are disciples, you have made a decision. The world behind me, the cross and my Savior before me. I say to you, you are following someone very special. Somebody unique. This is what the beginning of the Gospel of Mark is showing us. Second question. Where are we going? (laughs) We are going the same place he went. We are in his steps. And where is that? He is walking, building, working for, carrying out the kingdom of God. This is why he came. This is what he announces in verses uh, 12 and 13, or, or 15. Repent and believe the good news The kingdom is breaking in. And you and I are tagging along and we're in his steps and we're working for the same thing. We're working for the same thing. The kingdom of God is the reign of God. It is the rule of God. He is cleaning up and saving individuals, working in individual hearts so that God rules in the motives, in the thought life, and the habits of individuals. He is also cleaning up collectives, uh, bodies of people like churches. Hmm. The kingdom of God is breaking in. He is working, the kingdom of God is breaking into uh, nations. The kingdom of God is breaking into the world. And what will it be like when this kingdom fully arrives? He'll take us back to Eden. He'll take us back to the way it's supposed to be. No more heresy. You know, people saying false and mean things about Jesus. Not anymore. No more exploitation where the powerful prey on the weak and use the weak. No, that's not his way. That's not the kingdom of God. No more martyrs for the faith. No more church burnings like in Sri Lanka. The kingdom of God breaking in. No more corruption in government. 
This is where he's going. This is why he's come. Follow me. Join me. Be my disciples as we work for the kingdom of God. See, Jesus, for the kingdom of God, Jesus is like a catalyst. Do you remember from high school chemistry what a catalyst is? I didn't, but I thought I did, so I looked it up. A catalyst, according to that magisterial source of all knowledge and wisdom, Wikipedia, says... A catalyst increases the rate of a chemical reaction. The catalyst is usually not consumed in the reaction and can continue to act repeatedly. And because of this, only a very small amount of the catalyst is required uh, to alter the reaction rate. Jesus, I'm saying, is a catalyst for the kingdom of God. He gets it going. He speeds it up. He brings in a new covenant. He, he takes us back to Eden. But it's very small. Just, I mean, Jesus himself, he's just, you know, just this guy. He's just a carpenter. He's from Galilee of all places. Galilee of the Gentiles. Not the headquarters, not the center of power, uh, Jerusalem and Judea in the south. He, and then he gathers just 12, 12 people, 12 guys. They're just normal guys. They're fishermen. One of them was a tax collector. Well, that's a nice start. But he gets it going. And the kingdom of God breaks in. It started in Israel very small band of people. And then it spread west to Africa and east to India and northwest to Europe. It eventually became the dominant worldview and force in Europe. And then from Europe to the United States, Eventually, the gospel, the kingdom of God, was breaking into the far-flung parts of the world all the way to China. It starts very small, like a little mustard seed. (laughs) And it grows and grows, just like yeast in a batch of dough. And it grows and grows and infiltrates. And people today, millions and millions of people have entered into and are disciples and they're working and they're following in his steps and they're working for the kingdom of God. And slavery has been put down largely because of Christianity. Probably not completely, but it was a major factor. And women have been elevated. And the poor and the dispossessed are clothed and the the disadvantaged and the handicapped mentally and physically are given dignity and the gospel is preached and people are released from worshiping demons. I'm speaking literally, not not, uh, metaphorically. They are released from worshiping demons. Liz and I have good friends who are missionaries in Cambodia and what a joy it is for them to see these, these people who are in bondage to worshiping demons. They sacrifice to them. They don't like the demons. Demons don't like them, but you were rats. They got to keep at it. And then the gospel comes in 
God loves you. He's for you. He's done something in your behalf. This isn't like you scratch my back, I scratch yours. No, no, he has done everything for you. And the good news comes in. The kingdom of God breaking in, releasing people. But somebody says, but hang on, because isn't there still slavery in our world? Sex slavery? Mm -hmm. Somebody says, well, isn't there still like corruption and classes and oppressing people? Yeah, mm mm-hmm. And so here's a key phrase that you and I need when we read about the kingdom of God like we do in Mark chapter 1. Here's the phrase, already, but not yet. The kingdom is already here. Jesus started it like a catalyst. Twelve guys preaching the gospel. It's already here. Healing. Preaching the gospel. It is not yet (laughs) what it shall be. Already, but not yet. And so our response is to get on the team. To walk in his steps. To follow him. To do the kind of things he was doing. And one of the things I love about Crossbridge is that so many people here, I don't know, maybe the majority here, are doing that. Patek Altug is on the team. Pastor David and Pastor Judah are on the team, carrying out his will. And those of you in so-called secular work, your your educators and engineers and medical profession, you're on the team. You are working for justice and you are and uh, you are uh, spreading the good news of Christ and you are modeling what it looks like. And so where are we going? Same place he went. (laughs) So get on the team. Last question. The journey will be like his journey. This is what we can expect. This is what Mark is going to teach us. And so what was his journey like? You know, working for the kingdom of God and preaching the gospel. What was it like? It, was like, it looked like this. Service. The Son of Man did not come to be served, <laughs> but to serve. Uh, you too. It will look like Yeah, sacrifice. Take up your cross. I'm taking up my cross, Jesus says. So take up your cross and follow me. This journey will look like testing. You know how the Spirit drove and cast Jesus out into the wilderness? Same thing for us. We can expect the same treatment, the same, you know, program that, that, that Jesus experienced. You will be, perhaps you are right now, being tested. But let's be clear what Satan designs 
to hurt us, we call that tempting, God can use even that to strengthen and help and encourage us. I know that these, they often look the same. It's actually the same word in Greek, testing and tempting, but the two are not the same. Satan cast Jesus out, or the Spirit cast him out, and Satan found him there in the wilderness, and Satan's like, yeah, well, we're just going to mess up this kingdom of God. We're going to stop this thing before it even gets going, and, and I hate you. I don't know if he said that. He does. He hates God, and thus he hates God's people, and so he's designed temptations to tear us down. God says, I can use that. I can flip Satan on his back, and I can refine your character. And I can show you that I am faithful. And I can bring out your best qualities. We call that testing. And you and I can experience that. We can expect to experience that. What else will it look like? Repentance and belief. That's how our story opens with John the Baptist preaching a baptism of repentance in chapter, and in verse 15, Jesus said, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. And now, can I swing back to baptism? Because baptism is uh, intricately related to, to uh, repentance and belief. Baptism is the great symbol. It's the great ceremony that uh, I've gotten on the track. I'm following Jesus. I, I have repented of my sin. I believe. I'm a disciple. You may think baptism is such a strange ceremony. Why not, like, you know, get dunked underwater and come back up? Why not something a little bit more genteel, like when they, when they dub a knight, you know, put the sword, I dub thee Sir Galahad. Or why not something, why not just like, uh, you know, put your hand on the Bible, raise your right hand up to God, I swear to it. Well, why baptism? Well, actually, it's a pretty good ceremony and pretty good symbol because it, think of what it symbolizes. Washing. It's a symbol. It's a little visual parable of what God has done for us. Death, bar- being buried. Resurrection. That's what God has done for us in Christ. Being immersed, saturated, uh, 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 deeply committed to and enveloped by the Spirit of God. So actually it's a pretty good symbol. Question for you. Have you been baptized? If the answer is no, what, what hinders? Consider it. It is the churches commissioned by Jesus himself, modeled by Jesus himself. He didn't even have to repent and believe, but he modeled it for us. It is the church's ceremony. It is a a symbolic and nonverbal communication. Life, death to life, cleansing, being immersed into the body of Christ. The next baptism here at Crossbridge is May 19th, less than a month from now. Talk to Pastor David. 
What will our journey look like? Divine aid. (laughs) Testing, sacrifice, serving other people. Divine aid. I have baptized you with water. There's coming one after me, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will be your comforter, your friend, your helper. Three days, uh, three, three years after this story, Jesus is at the end of his life, and he is telling the disciples, okay, you guys, I'm leaving now. You're not going to have me with you. And they're really sad about that. He says, don't be sad because I will not leave you as orphans. Instead, I will send to you the Holy Spirit. He will teach you. He will guide you. He will comfort you. He will mold you in unity. He will bring all things to your remembrance. So for the disciple, walking in his steps, you can walk in in hope and confidence, divine aid. Service is hard. Testing is hard. Sacrifice, he will be with you, just as he was with Jesus in the wilderness. Finally then, divine commendation. God said to his son, Beloved, with you I am well pleased. And if you're walking in his steps, he says to you, you too. If Jesus' blood has cleansed your sins, if you are walking with him, if you're a disciple, he says to you, dear one, I am so pleased with you. And I say that from the word of God to a church which is full of high achievers. Can I get a witness? The best schools, the best grades, first team, first chair, more degrees. And I say it to a church which may slog along under a sense of inadequacy, shame. Listen to the word of God. My son took your shame, nailed it to the cross. I love you. I am so pleased with you. This is good news. We don't have to save ourselves. It's already been done for us. Well, there you have it. We are following Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, working with him, beside him, following him to the kingdom. And what can we expect? All sorts of things. Testing, sacrifice, divine aid.
divine commendation. Welcome to the book of Mark. Heavenly Father, thank you for your holy and inspired word, these stories and teachings about Jesus. Help us to follow. In his name we pray. Amen.